Josh, the first 150 miles of 2023. How do you feel? Mate, it, this was a really good episode. I think we've doubled down on the way that we do this podcast, which is going to be really useful for people this year. We, we're both doing research now, and we went in on Rishi Sunak and where we are with the current government, but in it like a ranty but measured way, which I think was really good. Measured ranting. Yeah. Measured ranting. Uh, we talked about the anti-strike legislation that's coming in. We talked about you know the plan to make every uh, 16 to 18-year-old do maths. Uh, we talked about uh, when we take our Christmas decorations down as well. Oh, yeah, I forgot we did that. Most people will be surprised. <laughs> we, had some good, we, we had some good emotional check-ins as well. So it's a really good uh, start to the conversation. Get stuck into this, people. Come and follow us at 115 Miles Pod. This episode is, uh, is a banger. I know we always say it, but enjoy it, and we'll see you very soon. <laughs> This is 115 Miles with Josh Connolly and Hassan Kaya. Growing up 115 miles apart, our lives couldn't have been more different. But we find ourselves today with many similarities and outlooks upon life. Join us on our podcast as we take a topical dive into life, work, culture, and everything in between. Josh, is there anything more depressing than the morning where you take your Christmas decorations down? When do you take yours down, by the way? Uh, like second, usually. Second. Well, of January? Second or third of January. That long. You're supposed to wait 12 days, isn't it? So it's supposed yeah, to be Yeah, but you've run thing. the court. You know, every, you're just, it's a, fu- it's a fucking lie, isn't the it? The day after Boxing Day in my house. Shut up. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Out with the old, in with the new. Let's not hang about. Day I after get the Boxing Day. They make me claustrophobic after Boxing Day. It's all down, mate, after Boxing Day, yeah. Uh, and no, it's not depressing. I like it. Oh, <laughs> you just ruined my intro. Oh, I don't like it, man. I don't like Well, okay, for, for most people, it's not going to be the day after Boxing Day. Okay, yeah. Usually okay, like early January. Yeah, okay. I find it really depressing. Do you, yeah? Because your house is full of lights and colour and festivities and yeah. jollity. Yeah. And then... I bring those things to my house on a <laughs> yeah, <day> basis. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I want to get back to this as quickly as possible. Um, no, I get it. I get it. I think a lot of people find the, the gap between Christmas and New Year very depressing as well, don't they? My brother-in-law, they go away on holiday the day after Boxing Day. Yeah, it's a good move. I think it's a good move. Yeah, I don't know, man. Not, I don't, not when I've got young kids... Because they just got all their stuff and that. I don't want to get on a plane and say, leave all the new things behind and uh, go on holiday. Have you asked them? No, the, they'll be like, <laughs> do you want to go somewhere hot and sunny? Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you can man. bring your toys with you. I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah, but I we went to um, Ireland for Christmas, which was brilliant. It was loads of fun. And then had a nice good break, you know, coming back. But I, anyway, that's not why I was... Uh, <laughs> I've ruined your, yeah. your whole flow with that. No, it's it, not depressing. So it's like a whole year away again, Christmas, right? Yeah. Just to reinforce that point. It, it came very quickly and disappeared very quickly, I think. If you could keep one thing that you enjoyed over Christmas throughout the year, what, what would it be? More at-home time. With... I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, no, Something but... material, please. Oh, really? Yeah. One material thing that I could keep from Christmas. Uh, cheese. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> cool, man. A lot of cheese yeah. was eaten over Christmas. Yeah. But no, the, the reason I say the family time, by the way, because the kids got chicken pox for the last four or five days oh, that we were yeah. off. Yeah. So we were stuck in. But, uh, you know, you get all this, you spend all this money on Christmas. And the best present that we used the most was Uno. You play Uno? I was just, we've talked about this. Yeah. I have, but like the problem with my kids who have played it in different, you know, different circles yeah. is the rules are all bastardized now. Yeah, like yeah. we can't settle on rules. Yeah, yeah. But I do enjoy it. Yeah, no, we've just, we played so much of it. And we got Junior Monopoly. So I think my kids, my youngest now, who are five and six, are ready for the move to full Monopoly. Uh, do you know? Big step. You know, like, board games, the quality of them is so crap compared to like when we were growing up. Yeah, well, it's... Do you agree? Yeah, hyper-capitalist society, isn't it? The fucking board's paper now, isn't it? Yeah, I, <laughs> I can't get with it. I was like, when, like the Monopoly that I played in the 80s, that was proper, solid yeah. metal... Solid metal, metal pieces, pieces. Yeah. yeah. Paper printed on both sides, not just one. Yeah. Don't like, I can't get with board games produced in the modern age. No, I agree with that, but I do love a board game. Do you know what else I also did? I bought after Christmas in the bit between Christmas and New Year Lego, some Lego. I bought the old Wembley in Lego, three thousand, three and a half thousand piece Lego set. Did you build it? I've I've start I've spent a good few hours on it. But the problem is, yeah, I bought it thinking it would be because me and kids got into Lego, me and the kids. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, yeah, we could build Wembley together. It'd be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Like, but nah, it's proper. Like the pieces are tiny. Yeah. It's like kids get out. Daddy's building Wembley. Get yeah, out. yeah. I know so, that's the problem with me and Lego is that. I'm not a good, you know me, I'm not a good delegator, right? So that that doesn't work. <laughs> I haven't got the patience to do Lego with. No, not with the young kids. Minds. That's the problem. So I think I, I might get a puzzle. might go back to puzzles. And Aaron, see. Aaron did a killer 1,000 piece puzzle. Over Christmas? Didn't see her for four days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no comment on whether that was a positive or negative. Yeah, what would I like to keep for Christmas? The 1,000 piece puzzles. <laughs> Um, yeah. oh, what would you keep there? No, what would you keep? So I'm saying cheese and family time. Cheese and family time? Yeah, or cheese and chicken pox is my answer. <laughs> uh, what would I keep? I would keep... Um, I would keep... <laughs> I would keep Baileys. Baileys? Because <laughs> it's only... Just plain Baileys, because there's a lot of different I'm types just now. Just plain. Yeah. Straight up Baileys. Did a yeah. bottle of that once and was yeah. sick. It's not yeah. nice when it's not as nice no, when it comes and back And I know, up. like, you just need to let it go in between yeah. November and January. Leah makes mini Guinnesses with Baileys. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know how she makes them, but oh. you put the Guinness on top of something, and it, uh, the Baileys on top of a, a black drink, and the Baileys sits on top of it, so it looks like a Guinness, and it's a shot. Wow. Sorry, oh, Baileys. Party time. I, yeah, I feel yeah. like he was going to say and. And uh, fairy lights. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> I just find I find them warming and nice. You know, just, just not coloured, colourful ones. Yeah, they're all right on a tree, but just, just where specifically? What around the house on the outside? On, on the fireplace, right? I like, I like the level of lighting involved. It just makes me feel all nice and fuzzy. You can get decorative fairy lights in today's world. You know the ones that. No, are I know, Christmas but they here. don't. Yeah, but they're just they're just for Christmas. All right, we can't have your fucking cake and eat it, mate. So I didn't ask for cake, Josh. <laughs> just fairy lights. <laughs> So we're in January. I thought, do you know why I, took, I brought up Christmas? It's because everyone's so ready to move on. Like, it's like, oh, we can't talk about Christmas now for another yeah. 12 months. And all we can talk about is 
celebrities doing fitness videos and uh, New Year resolutions. And Who's the big celebrities doing fitness videos? I don't know. I don't know. No, this I is just a throwback to what I remember, like reality TV stars doing Yeah, I wonder DVDs. if that still goes down. Well, no, d people don't really buy Not DVDs, DVDs anymore, do they? anymore no. So, I don't know. What <laughs> do you reckon? Like, uh, probably online sort of courses. Sign up That'd be them. me in 10 years. It is you, you know, right now. When I have like, you. When I <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, are you do what are you doing starting today, Josh? Uh, yeah. Uh, in a U, you can still sign up. So, uh, get yourself over and uh, see it, yeah. Where do people sign up for it? You might as well go on, give it a good plug. Uh, Inner U, we are on the fourth, no, the fifth ever cohort of Inner U, and you can sign up at uh, freedomfromwithin.thinkific.com. Uh, and yeah, mate, we've got over a hundred and I don't know, nearly 170 people signed up now. And if you can't remember that weird long uh, just go email, to just go to Josh's <laughs> website. <laughs> yeah, joshconnolly.com. Um, and what is what is Inner U? Just quickly. Uh, it's a six-week process where I take people on a healing journey to uh, understand themselves, uh, reconnect with, um, and become their inner child's champion. Brilliant. You weren't expecting that, were you? So uh, No, I wasn't. Yeah. No, I wasn't. I was waiting for a way to wrangle in the plug, actually. Yeah, well, there it is. I, I yeah. did it for you. Um, no, the reason I brought Christmas up was because I just feel like everyone wants to talk about New Year, New Year. And I was deliberately today not going to talk about New Year's stuff. Yeah. Because right? I'm... Because resolutions are shit and they will fail. Well, 80% of them fail by February. Did you know right. that? Uh, I think you talked about it last year. Or yeah, the, yeah, or yeah. the year before. Well, you said I'm boring. Uh, yeah. yeah, every year. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do, I am more interested in intention. Yeah. So I've got two questions just to kind of kick us off. Um, the first one is what's your personal intentions Yeah. for this year? Yeah. And I. And if I can, like, don't kind of talk about business or or or, or focus on that because obviously you know that's going to be an important part. But really, just an intention for yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's a gift to yourself? Um, and then my second question is, what are you hopeful for for society as a whole in twenty three? Okay, question one. On a personal level, for me, it's really about stepping into my power this year and like. You know, as like a chronic people pleaser, somebody who spent my whole life people pleasing, I think with the work that I do and the kind of uh, the growing following, it's really difficult to step into your power and be your true self, right? Without getting pulled into wanting to, to make everybody that comes across you like you and buy into what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and that has meant that sometimes that I don't step into my power, that I avoid my power and I get caught up trying to please everybody. And I think we did a podcast a couple of years ago when I probably had that a bit of a wake up call to it, the initial wake up call to it, which was when at the start of COVID when I posted something about Boris Johnson. I think it was the first sort of, at the time it felt wide scale uh, kickback that I got against myself online. Um, and it pushed me to go, right, well, I can't impress everybody. And, and so uh, I'm gonna step into my power. And, and I, you know, I went down that path a little bit and then, you know, you, you, I took my foot off it, but this year I really want to embody that, you know? And I think what I've learned is that if I am making everybody like me, then there's some self abandonment going on somewhere. Yeah. Right. I am, I'm abandoning myself uh, and I'm turning up as versions of myself to please everybody else. And so, I really want to step in. I want to make people not like me this year. Yeah. Which is which is oh, an interesting. It's easy. Thing to it's say. really easy <laughs> to do. Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, no, I really, I really, really, um, I take a lot of inspiration from that. But also, it resonates because I think I've sort of, uh, I feel, 
you know, a similar kind of uh, feeling around stepping in. And, and anyone that's listened to this podcast for any given period of time will know that actually we've really started to shift into that space here in these conversations. Yeah. Because even though the intention of this podcast when we set out in in uh, during that first lockdown was to create the space where we didn't have to kind of put our professional masks on, we were still really second guessing what the world would be thinking of us as we spoke. Whereas now I think we're a lot more comfortable um, saying what's on our mind. And actually that's an intention even further this year. Um, but I think that's, yeah, I think that's really, really important because we can spend so much of our time, particularly on social media, just worrying about the impact of what we might say or, and, and that's understandable, right? And yeah. it is understandable, but I think it's, you know, you have to recognize that you could be abandoning yourself unless you really do speak your truths. Yeah, and I think the ways that we trick and deceive ourselves for that to play out is why it's, you know, a, a constant lifetime of work, right? Because you're always peeling back those layers, right? And you think I'm being completely authentic and I'm being myself. And then, you know, you go a little bit deeper and you realize, wow, I've been sort of, that's not me. I've still, I've been, I've created a new character in a new way. And it, look, it's not that those characters are to be put down or or like pretend that they're not a good part of ourselves. But I think there's always... There's always more work to do. And look, that can feel awkward for me. For me to be like, this is what I think, feel and believe, and I'm going to say it. And if you don't like it, then, you know, that's tough. That feels uncomfortable for me to say sometimes. But I think it's the truth. I think we need more people like that. Because um, otherwise, what do you stand for? You know, I remember once hearing, so I don't remember who it was, but they said something like, um, if you never upset anyone, with the things that you say, then you're not saying anything at all. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard a version of that, which is something like, if you stand for everything, then you stand for nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good quotes. Who by? Nobody knows. Should we just take them? <laughs> yeah. So what about you? Mine is stepping into my power. What's your intentions for the year? So my intention for the year is, is really just to focus on my pyramid of priorities. Yeah. <laughs> I'm only laughing because I've we've talked about this in the you know privately and I take the piss out of you a little. Um no, I, I I you know, we talk about the word of the year and I'm not really going to spend a lot of time on that because we we did this same time last year. But my word of the year is lead. And in order to lead for me, <clears throat> I've broken it down into two parts, self-leadership and then leadership of others. Yeah. Self-lead, and I start with self-leadership, because in order to be to be able to truly lead others, you know, in our business or having a point of view or championing the things that we we care about, I've got to start with myself, mm -hmm. and then kind of my immediate circle. So if I want change for me, and then if I want change for my family, then I've I can't just demand it. I've got to, you know I've got to put the work in. So I was trying to think, well, there's just a lot to do how do I do it? So I came up with this concept while I was kind of in the downtime period at the end of last year, I came up with a concept called the uh, pyramid of priority. Mm -hmm. And the, the idea behind that is that you can't, for me, certainly, and I think there's a lot of evidence that if you try to start too many things at the same time, it's very difficult to get traction. So for me, I think I wanted to identify what my number one priority is. Um, and then what's the next one and the one after that, and then sort of just focus on those three. And then if I have a ripple effect from that and it causes lots of good things to happen, then great. But I'm just going to focus on that. So my intention this year is to focus on my pyramid of priority. So my three priorities are, number one, sleep. 
sleep is something I've deprioritized my whole kind of adult life. Certainly since having kids and running a business, I've always convinced myself I don't actually need a lot of sleep. But everything that I've read uh, in terms of high performance, longevity of life, mm. health, all point, every time I read a top five or a top three or a top seven, sleep is always there and usually towards the top. So um, what that means for me is, uh, some I read somewhere they have three, two, one. So no food before three hours before uh, sleep, no liquids two hours before sleep, no screens one hour before sleep. So I've really tried to adopt that in you know since the start of the year, um, reading and not looking at phones and stuff like that in the last hour. Um, and yeah, it's a bit of a journey, but generally I've been reading a lot more. And then my next uh, one on a triangle is structures and rhythms. So the, the idea that you know systems need to kind of um, uh, help me do what I need to do. And uh, 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 one of my biggest drainers is being efficient. I love to procrastinate. So having systems will really help me kind of keep the things that are important. And then the last one on my pyramid is learning. You know, all roads of everything um, for me begin with learning, but I've deprioritized that. So yeah. those are the three that I want to... Did you make up this pyramid of priorities yeah, or I mean, trademark? I, I, well, I oh, believe wow. so, yeah. No, I didn't yeah. know that. I you thought you just got it from somewhere, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very good, mate. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> and so what was the other question? Yeah, so the question... What do I want for the... Uh, what for the, are uh, you hopeful for? Because it's not like... Yeah. I think hopeful for versus what do you think will happen, you know? I mean, look, I'm, I, I guess if I had a hope, it would be that we can come back together uh, as people and actually start to really reform... And we talked about this loads of times, but reform communities that come back together against um, the systems of power that we exist in. I'm hopeful for it, but I don't know how hopeful. Not when you look out into the world. Yeah. What about you? Do you know, I'm just, uh, there's a, my hope is doused with realism, a bit like yours. I yeah. think, um, I'm hopeful that we can just level out a little bit, you know, in that we, it feels like last year was a tough year for society as a whole with, you know, cost of living impacting so many people. Um, you've got job losses, you've got, uh, you know, just, just you know, people living in poverty. You've got, you know, Ukraine, Russia war and the, and the global impact, health issues, all that sort of stuff. Um, so just leveling out is, you know, and and uh, starting to kind of see some green shoots. Like there's there was not a lot to look at last year and go, oh, there's there's some hope there. There's there's a bit of green there. So I think I'm hoping that there's just a little bit of spring that's coming um, this year. Um, in terms of likelihood, I think we're still. I think to, this is going to be another very difficult year. Mm. Until there's some kind of change, I think the years the years ahead look difficult. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, good segue. Good segue. Um, so. I wanted to just talk about, um, well, I've, you know, I thought, should we talk about New Year's intentions and resolutions? And then you and I have talked about stepping into power. You just did now. And we've talked about how we're going to use this podcast. And I think we have both declared that we want to make sure that we're having really, really important conversations. So yeah. we're going to bash Tories for an hour. <laughs> no, um, um, but, I, you know, look, they, the, Conservative Party has been in power for 12 years. Yeah. Right. May tw uh, May 2010 was Shit, when man. they were That's elected. 12 and a half years, right? So it's 12 nearly 13 and a half, years, Nearly right? 13. May will be 13. So they will be in power, in, you know, for 13 years at least. During that time, 
Um, I think there've been six six leaders, All right? And only two of them have been elected. So that was David uh, elected by the public. So that's David Cameron. Yeah. Right. Knob. Yeah. Yeah. Right, David one. Cameron. Yeah. Uh, and then Boris Johnson again when when he called the general election. So they're the two that were elected. Yeah. yeah but yeah. he wasn't elected originally. No. Boris Johnson. Yeah. So the majority of lead, conservative leaders that we've had in this almost 13 year period have been unelected by the people. Yeah. And they've just kind of passed a job like it's theirs to be able to hand around to each other. Yeah. The, um, there's been a, you know, 12, 13 year uh, decline in living standards, right? Progressively, uh, unemployment has risen. Uh, we had Brexit and we've obviously had the kind of the COVID stuff, which was, you know, global, but we, we have our points of view on how it was handled. But we're not allowed to talk about them. Carry on. No, we can't talk about them. Yeah, yeah. we can. <laughs> yeah, we might do. Um, you know, we've seen story after story of sleaze and corruption and all that sort of stuff. Um, such such the point now that, you know, um, Rishi Sunak is, is prime minister and... Uh, people are living in abject poverty and you know people who shouldn't be living in poverty are living in poverty people who are working nurses teachers um, postal workers um, and all of these people have uh, you know found themselves having to um, strike to yeah. improve their pay and working conditions mm -hmm. um, Rishi Sunak a few days ago or his government announced that they are some anti-strike legislation that's about to come in which is going to give bosses uh, the opportunity to sue unions and um, uh, fire uh, potentially employees who strike. What do you think about that? Well, where do I start with everything that you've said? Can we, let's just, I just want to take, Okay. I, I want to take firstly what you've said about the fact that they've been in power for nearly 13 years. Yeah. And the prime ministers. Yeah. I was using that to set context of like, of where we find ourselves. Yeah, I know, but I do want to have a couple of moments to speak about it because I don't think that it's just that that, that that they've all been unelected, but they have progressively got, in my opinion, worse. Yeah. Like, if you look at, like, David Cameron, he, like, seems like almost, mi like, middle ground in comparison to what we have now, to me. Then when you go to Theresa May, who I, I hated at the time, again, I'd take that over what we've got any day of the week now. Yep. Yeah. Then... Boris Johnson, don't even get me started. Liz Trust, who... F 45 days. 45 days, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then to what we've got now, who, by the way, I think is the, the worst of the lot by a country mile. Liz Trust. No, the Rishi. one with Rishi Sunak. Rishi Sunak. I think yeah. he's the worst by a country mile. Yeah. And the reason I think he's the worst is because I think he's very, very good at wearing a disguise yeah. and, and looking like he's not the worst and actually yeah. looking like he's way more David Cameron than he is yeah. Boris Johnson. And he ain't... Yeah. He's not. I yeah. think he's worse than all of them. Yeah. Perhaps put together. Um, Why? Why do you think he's worse? Just because I think he 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 he's. I think he's very very devious. I think he's got that charisma that's needed to hide how devious and horrible he is. Right. He does not, in the slightest, remotest bit, care about anyone um, below a certain class level. A class level, by the way, that I think most people can't reach, which we'll probably get into talk about in 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 this conversation that we're going to have now. To come to the question about the legislation uh, to bring it in to to stop protests, right? 
I think what the what the those in power, along with their their partners in crime, which are which is the media, I think what they've done very very well. They've been very good at um, doing is pitting everybody against the protesters rather than what the protesters stand for, um, and I think they've done very well at that. I, I I mean, I'd love to know what the general consensus is amongst the public of who they should be angry at, but it feels like you know the media. Are, did you? I don't know if you've seen any of that. Richard Madley is that his name? The Madeley, yeah, Madeley, yeah. Him interviewing um, what's the guy, the main guy from the RMT yeah. uh, Union, um, Lynch, yeah. Uh, and the way that he speaks, condescending and down to him, like disgusted about what he's doing against us and the people. And I think f I'm going to say it, stepping into my power. Fuck off, Richard Madley. Are you anything? Any kind of representation for who I am? Yeah. Or the average person on the street, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. And that's what you've got. You've got him thinking he's stepping up for the people. Yeah. He's not. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to get I'm trying to get to the question. I actually want to read something. I don't know if you if you will have come across this in the research that you that you've done for the show, but I just want to read do you know anything about the winter of discontent? Uh, yes. Um let me remind you, right, yeah. because you obviously not looked at it for this, right? But I came across this article. The winter of 1978 to 1979 became known as the winter of discontent, yeah. right? As widespread strikes across multiple trade unions brought Britain to a standstill. To tackle rising inflation, James Callaghan's Labour government had imposed wage limits, much to the opposition of the TUC. Combined with the coldest winter in 16 years, workers up and down the country went on strike. The widespread unrest led to the fall of that Labour government as the Conservatives under Margaret Thatcher returned to power via a landslide victory in 1979. But here's the key point. When they came back into power, right, the strikes were against the wage, uh, what did it, the, the, the imposed wage limits, right? Labour came in a, a, a landslide as a result of that. Mm -hmm. You'd think that their first thing to do would be to address... You mean the Tories? The Tories, sorry. Yeah. The Tories came into power as a result of that. You'd think that the, a government coming in to take over, the first thing they would do is address the issue that everybody was protesting against. What they actually did was pass legislation that restricted the power of trade unions. Yeah. So this is not like, it's not a new thing for Tories, yeah. right? This is very, very calculated. Yeah. And so the way that they're tackling this is to push the, you know, the blame onto the people that are protesting. Yeah. Um, and so it's disgusting. And yeah. I don't think people are aware of this. No, they're not. Uh, 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 but uh, but I do think, um, I think that with nurses um, and medical professionals and teachers, it, it changes the landscape. Because we, over the years, certainly recently, um, We've been quite familiar with uh, transport firms, uh, staff striking, yeah. right? And so that's what we talk about. So when people are thinking about, is it inconvenient? When Richard Madeley's talking about that, he's talking about, can he get to work or, or whatever, right? Yeah. And it's probably, an, it's probably annoyed him and therefore he's speaking on behalf of the people, right? Yeah. Um, but when nurses who just only two years ago, we would come out on a Thursday evening, right? Or the, the whole, the NHS and clap them for, you know, for what they were doing for us during COVID. Uh, to see that they're having to resort to this is what I think is shifting some public opinion. Mm. Um, so I'd be really interested to see how people would, would poll against this because um, I think that there'd be more support than there might've been if it was just, you know, 
Um, are you saying that, and this genuine question, not a loaded question remotely, are you saying that in hope, or have you seen any evidence that it's shifting? I'm saying in hope, John. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I ask genuinely because, yeah. like, I tr like, I don't read the news very purposely. Uh, I do a little bit of looking on Twitter, but that in itself is an echo chamber based on the people that I sort of follow and stuff like that. Um, but a lot of what I see is just about talking about how the... NHS is breaking, right? So, uh, you know, I, I see the Tories, assuming they stay in power, which we might talk about whether they will, uh, I see they probably going to use this as an opportunity as well to, to, to privatise it even more and more. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. so it's like, more leverage it, this, for them. This feels like it's very calculated and very, um, uh, very deliberate and strategic. Yeah. There's a lot of interest in, 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 in privatising big swathes of... The NHS, if not entirely, you know, mm. because that then gives insurance companies, uh, you know, their foothold into this country, and then it's just crazy. I'm just reading a book um, at the moment um, by a guy called Rob Delaney, and um, you may or may not know him, but he's he's like a TV star, and he sadly he he lost his son to cancer, uh, who was very young, but he he's an American, and he had just come over to the UK to film his the first. Uh, two seasons of this show that that kind of blew up um and just talks really really um eloquently and poignantly about like his journey but just about you know how amazing the nhs is for uh for, for somebody who's 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 an american who really understands how horrible it can be when you're trying to do everything you can um when like your young child is going through uh, a terminal illness and then to suddenly think you might you have to negotiate with an insurance company as to whether they can even get care or not yeah I mean, that's just heartbreaking right? yeah yeah and then there's you know and then there's all the people that can't afford it mm. right um and the, and and so many of our population would fall into that yeah so then what happens is you don't you know you get you don't get that you know that care that you need so i mean if for nothing else, there needs to be a regime change just to protect the NHS and reinvest in the NHS, you know, um, it's it's really scary and worrying. And it's just, you know, what came straight into my head is that you, you used the term protect the NHS, which was a slogan for this government throughout um, throughout the whole of COVID, right? Yeah. Which I know is something that I people do find... Come on to, I want to come on to that, like, in a minute, actually. Okay, um, okay. Uh, so I think the... Uh, what you pointed to about um, point, pointing it, you know, by doing this legislation, we're, sort, we're now demonising the people for trying to say, listen, enough's enough. You've been cutting the NHS year after year after year after year. Um, and so we are uh, doing an incredibly important job. We are not getting a cost of living adjustment. We are now being pushed into poverty on top of having to work crazy hours. Um, and we're demonizing, you know, by doing this anti-strike legislation, we're demonizing those people or they're demonizing those people. Mm. It's classic deflect, you know, um, and I won't just say that the Tories do it. Any political party does it, probably the ones that have been in a long time. Let's just deflect away from how badly we're doing or what we don't want you to see or think about by pointing you over here. And so I actually want to just kind of move us on in now just to this whole notion of Rishi Sunak saying, you know, study now compulsory to study maths until you're 18. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. What do you I've think of that? It. Look, 
Uh, I talked, I, I posted about this on LinkedIn, right? And what I find interesting is that people that are, that are against it and see how stupid it is, all say the same thing. This shows how out of touch this government is. This shows how they don't understand what's going on and all of that stuff. I think that's naive. Yeah. To well, think say more. that a structure of this power that's been in this long are out of touch or don't know what's going on. I mean, for a long time, that would have been my line. But the more that I look into it, the more I've done this podcast and the more I've researched stuff and the more I start to see how these structures work, uh, they're not out of touch. They know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. So I always now, when these things come in that just seem grossly out of touch, right? I go, right, let, let's assume, let's make the assumption that they're not out of touch. So why the fuck are they doing it? Is the next question. If it's not out of touch, why are they doing it? I'll tell you why. Go on. Oh, you can't pay your bills? You can't yeah. save money? That's oh, because you're not very financially numerate and literate. Mm -hmm. So, that's, you know, it's because you gave up maths when you were 15, Josh, you know? Mm -hmm. And therefore, you don't know how to add up. Therefore, you know, it's your fault. Yeah. It's not our fault. It's your fault. So do you think, this genuine question again, do you think that is a case of being misguided? in their thinking and actually thinking no. when you really need to help these people no. so that they can be better at maths because no. that's why it is. No. Or do you think it's um, to be able to have weight when they say, this is fucking on you. You've had every chance, same as everyone else. And, and that's, that is the worrying thing about where we're at, yeah? Uh, I, I don't think it is just that, uh, although I do think that is a large part of it. I also think that this is something that really, really supports the people Generally, generally speaking, of course, uh, but really supports the people of a certain class, one that is very much closer to the class of Rishi Sunak, yeah? Mm. So, so anybody who is way down in that system that's still there that we've tried to push under and pretend that we all get the same, you know, chances and all of that stuff, they get no support whatsoever, yeah? Um, Rishi Sunak has also released statements, by the way, this links to this, saying that we hate, and he didn't use these words, but this is what he says, we hate antisocial people and we're gonna make sure that we clamp down on them with tougher sentences, yeah, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so like the people who struggle to be able to be parts of society in a healthy way because of their upbringing and the things that these governments have taken away from them, they actually get clamped down on. Yeah. Whereas the people who are struggling, you know, they really want to become a data analyst and could do with a bit more, couple more years of maths, they're being helped and supported. You see? So yeah. um, I, I will never believe that these bad things are done by misguided. It's, def it's definitely not misguided. But also, you know, let's say you bring in this policy and you uh, want to get more kids from the ages of 16 to 18 doing maths. Mm -hmm. Let's say you now bring in, I don't know, 100, you know, 100,000 more do it, right? That then, which is a relatively straightforward exercise, you just kind of mandate it, schools have to do it because schools just have to fall, fall in line. How are we going to pay for it? Fuck you, figure it out. Yeah. That's basically, you yeah. know, I know head teachers and that's basically what, what gets said. So they'll say, we'll do this, then they give no support because there's obviously a cost to, you know, you're gonna have to get more maths teachers and maths literate and you've got to do all of that. What's the curriculum gonna be? There's all that work that needs yeah. to happen. And then, but let's say um, because they bully teachers and local edu educational authorities and into doing it at whatever cost, suddenly those quotas get pushed up and suddenly they've got 100,000 more kids who've done maths 
yeah. high level. And then they get to kind of, just as a general election's about to come in, they get to say, oh, well, you know, we've now got 100,000 more children who are, you know, who are maths A-level educated, which then they will then spin to say, well, that's going to kickstart our financial, uh, you know, make us a world great again and, you know, and, and connect that to Brexit and all that sort of stuff. And so it is completely strategic and deliberate because it gives they can't control what's going on in the economy. They can't, mm. they can't uh, control uh, so many things that they want to be able to control. So they can really keep, so they, mark my words, right? When it comes to election time, and if Rishi Sunak is still in power, he's gonna say, anytime they'll say, but you know, what about the cost of living? Yes, but look at the, ch look at the, ch the 100,000 kids that have now yeah, done exactly. massive. And that's just giving them sound bites for the future. Yeah, I guess the only thing that I would probably pick up on is that um, I think they have way more control over the economy than you say, where they say they can't control Maybe. it. Yeah. They, 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 they are controlling it yeah. fucking very rigidly. And I think they, again, I think they know exactly what they're doing. There's, and it means they get to keep their power yeah. while looking like they are doing something. There's, a, there's always going to be things that they, uh, a government will... Uh, be a, will be controlling that they can't say they can control, but then there's going to be a load of stuff that they, they can't and they wish they could. Yeah. Um, but in having these four or five sound bites, that's all they're going. That's all we're going to hear. Yeah. And uh, so I think that's that's a really um, difficult you know thing. Now, just to kind of bring a bit of balance, you know, as well, I'm not saying that I don't believe people should be more you know numerate, right? Yeah. Because it's a good skill. It's you know it is a good skill, but what you what you what would be better is teaching kids. Uh, I say kids. I'm t young adults, right? Um, teenagers, uh, the perils of uh, bad credit and 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 what that does to you. Um, the importance of compound interest, for example. So in mm. real like you know maths in practical terms. So. Um, you know, investing if you can, or if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna, um, with the different kinds of opportunities available to you, even if a, an academic path doesn't feel like it's for you. Yeah. In saying maths for everyone, it's it's completely ignoring neurodiversity, the fact that people um, can kind of grow and create stuff yeah. without maths. Did you see Simon Pegg? I have uh, seen the video, yeah, yeah, yeah. If anyone uh, hasn't seen uh, Simon Pegg going on a bit of a rant, um, I, I, I strongly recommend it's worth doing, even if you're not a Simon Pegg fan. What do you think of his rant? I thought, it was, I, thought it was, I thought it was brilliant, yeah. I think it said everything that needs to be said. I think one, if I'm trying to be balanced here, one of the problems with it will be is that he's ranting and getting a bit sweary in that, and then people will just go, look, it's just ranting and it's a bit sweary. But that that is that would then be you know, reactive abuse to him anyway, because he should be angry. And this is co comes back, sorry to, before you come in, just, uh, this comes back to what I say about stepping into our power. Like it, now's not the time, man. I don't think we're at a time in society where we should be shrinking violets and be like, you know, uh, just trying to bring love to the conversation all the time. I think we need directed and clear things said in the way that Simon Pegg said it. Well, I think exactly right. I think, I think um, the thing about the Simon Pegg, um, rant and he's you know just just in case you don't go and see it he sits in his car and he just absolutely unloads on the Tory government and Rishi Sunak's uh, plan to get you know mathematics um, uh, compulsory until 18 um, but he's also pointing to uh, you know what what about all the other people that maths doesn't speak to mm. and um, I think he's got you know he's got uh, 
a platform because he's kind of you know he he's he's been creating not just as an actor but you know but you know creating productions and all that sort of stuff um but he speak you know it spoke to us too because we're already leaned in right yeah 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 and i think the rant is important because it shows like you really care and you need people who uh, sit along the spectrum who can have reasonable debate it's not to be any less passionate but I think you know just being bringing people into the conversation speaking yeah. about it like on podcasts like this yeah, yeah. in the way that we're doing I think it's really important particularly if there's two people in a conversation that at least one of you is trying to go okay well what would the other side think yeah and look they, uh, and like they've got previous on that by the way in terms of like creatives and arts weren't they because Remember the poster during COVID yeah. or at the end of COVID or whenever it was and it had a picture of a ballerina or something, yeah. didn't it? And yeah. it said, I don't know a name, yeah. like yeah. Sally's next next job could be data analysis or something stupid like that, wouldn't it? Yeah. So yeah she could like, yeah, she yeah. might be upset that she or, can't yeah. be a ballerina yeah. anymore because yeah, yeah. we've chucked down the window. Yeah. So like they've got previous on that, right? And again, it, what, what that is, is it becomes very like a... Uh, they're creating more like exclusive clubs, right? And they're helping people in the exclusive club and everyone else is just unlucky. And to come back to your point as well, where you talked about the importance of maths, I think it's important to say that because the knee jerk reaction is some of the posts that I've seen is like, my maths teacher said, you know, you won't be able to carry a calculator around with you and now I carry it around in my pocket. I've seen that line spun in various different forms loads of times. I think we have to be careful. Maths, I think is fucking really important yep. it's the language of science as well yep. and stuff like that right yep. so it's not just a case of sums right yeah like you it, it's entwined into a lot of the you know the ways that you would uh integrate into your life and some of which of which you just talked about so it is important but here's the thing right to stop it being a, a, an exclusive club I, I would be much better at learning at maths yeah if i didn't have a stressed overwhelmed teacher trying to teach me it yeah Right, because this government for the last 13 years have systematically withdrawn funding to support children. Yeah, so my maths, children that existing in today's world, all of them, the academic ones, right down to the people who are not academic, that might be, you know, living in, in poverty or the ones that are academic living in poverty, all of those, all of those would benefit way, way more by having a properly funded system that supports children yeah, rather than removing funding in the way that they have consistently over year upon year yeah, upon year. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, the, the thing you say about maths, by the way, is, is absolutely true. Like, it, its connection to more than just being able to do sums, I think, was is an important point that needed to be made. Um, and the world has moved on. Yeah. Right? And there are um, skills beyond that. Yeah. Um that would suit certain people better. Yeah. So um, I, I know that, that things have to be contained. You can't just go, hey, suddenly just kind of, you know, do whatever. But if it, from a government's point of view that they need to drive a policy, but maybe it needed to be less prescriptive around one subject and more about opening, let's say STEM, you know, mm. science, technology, and maths as well, right? You know, so just creating the opportunities. And then there's the creative side as well. But it just clearly shows kind of the value that, you know, um, that that this government places on anything outside of, you know, this one subject. So you, you mentioned earlier about, um, uh, you know, th there being, uh, you know, form. And one thing that I was thinking about was... Labour hasn't had a better chance than now, I would say, for a long time to yeah. do something about it. And the thing that keeps 
popping into my head, and, and a lot of people might not like this um, this kind of metaphor, but there's a saying that goes, don't bring a n- knife to a gunfight. Yeah. And what you were talking about, the kind of the uh, the NHS being promised, you know, as part of that election manifesto, they just made up lies. Yeah. They said 350 million a week is going to go back into the NHS. From Brexit. Ab- was, yeah. From Brexit. It's an absolute lie, right? And so... When I say don't bring a knife to a gunfight, it's like, don't just kind of say, oh, you know, you're lying, you know, like, uh, and just kind of make them wrong. You need to really get into the psychology of people if you want to win the next election. So, uh, and this may be kind of controversial, but like they need Labour or whatever coalition or whatever party, they need to help people see really quickly that this government is trying to take let's say their nhs away yeah. let's say that they want to further under fund um uh society by taking stuff away and taxing the most needy and not enough of the people um uh, or the companies that should be and they should be really 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 putting all of their energy behind that but it just feels like they're like labor just keeps coming back not even with a knife they come back with a sponge baseball bat you know what i mean <laughs> A foam finger. Yeah, foam finger. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, like, like something has to change, right? If there was a general election tomorrow, who would win? (sighs) Fucking shouldn't be that hard, man. With where we're at, I know. But I, 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 I'd like to say that Labour has made ground, right? And and uh, opinion polls suggest that they have. Who wins it election tomorrow? I think the Tories win it again. Do you? I do. Oh, come I don't want it. I don't. I know you don't want it. I just. I think people are still like more better the de- the better the devil you know than you don't. And here's the other thing, the 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 Tory party and their backers are so good at um, manipulation and they're so good at election manipulation. They're so good at it. You know, and and, and let me just say this. I think I've said in the past that um, I probably wouldn't vote if there was another general election. Yeah. Right. And you got upset about it. Yeah. Um, and I think if this had been any other general election, like, you know, a normal one where I just, you know, I think we've got to be a bit careful about the the lesser of, you know, the two evils and all of that stuff. I sort of firmly believe that they're all a joke. Yes. I firmly believe they're all a joke. But let me just say this. I do think that now, because of this 13 years that we live in, we are living in what is a hyper conservative time. Yeah. Where it's this, they've got so much power. They've been in there for so long now. They've pushed the boundaries too far. And what I would encourage anybody that's listening to this, even if you are a Tory, right? You probably fucking <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> but even if you are, your beliefs are more conservative. Yeah. Right? Um, even if your beliefs are more conservative or you feel despondent, I do think that when the election comes, now is the time to bring us away from this hyper conservative thing and actually give... And the other people a crack at the whip uh, of the whip to try and bring it back towards centre somewhere. I don't know if I think Keir Starmer's a fucking alien. I think he's a moron. Uh, I think he's pretty useless. Um, but you know, it could be um, anybody in there. Do you know what I mean, Mickey Mouse? And I think it would be better to just pull. We need to pull the power away from people that are so enthralled in it now. And I think anything is better. It's going to be thirteen years in May. No one political party, certainly not where the majority of leaders have been unelected, should be in power that long. 
They, it's just you cannot stay pure. Well, Not no, that they were ever pure, but, but you can't yeah, stay I know, pure. I know, but what's a shame is that imagine what you could do with 13 years. If you put in somebody and said, here's 13 they years. Did. They did imagine, and a lot of them have benefited from it. Well, I know, but this is the thing. Do you know what I mean? That's the problem. Part of me says four years is too short, because what can you do? That's why they want tweetable stats, yeah? Because they're only in for four years. They don't care about, you know, they don't care about four-year-olds because they won't be, in, you know, they might not yeah. be in power when they get there. So it's I do, about I the next election. I, I do so, so, agree. So, I, like, I, I, like, I agree with what you're saying, right? I agree with what you're saying, but they, they, they shouldn't have been in power this long. They shouldn't have been in power this long. And it's twisted. It's a twisted mess. Um, and I know we're sort of out of time here, but... Um, good conversation. Yeah, very good, yeah. And, if, any, and, and if, any, uh, if anyone didn't realise that we're not big fans of the current government, they certainly would be after this episode. <laughs> it's not even about the current government. It's just, it's more on the, like, it's one for the team. We're, we're doing this for the team, you know what I mean? Like, society... Yeah, yeah like, and I think, look, whether it would, I think it would probably look differently, but I think if Labour were in for 13 years, right, then then they would be this a tangled mess as well with that long with the power, right? I think most people would. I think power's highly, highly fucking addictive. Yeah. And I think it's problematic, like you've just said, for anybody to be in power that long, which yep. is a shame, but I think it's true. Yeah, brilliant. Great conversation, Josh. Um, very quickly, we're going to do reasons to be cheerful. Have you got one? Yeah. Okay, good. Well, I'll, I'll do mine then. I want to shout out to my mate Jonah, who lost his dad just before Christmas. This is a reason to be cheerful. Jonah's been my best friend since I was a very young man, uh, 18, 19. He looked after me in my darkest of days. Um, and he got in touch to let me know that his dad had passed away. Um, and we met up. We met up over Christmas and we've stayed in touch. And just to know that through everything, you know, I've got a friendship like that um, in somebody like Jonah. Uh, means the world to me. So, uh, yeah, just shout out to Jonah, really, on that. Reasons to be cheerful. And yours? I can't top that one, so I'm going to leave it there. But no, fuck you, you got to do it. you got to do it. Come on, come on. What is your reasons to be cheerful? What uh, is it? Is it melty? Come on. It is a it. bit melty now, compared to... <laughs> no, no, my reason to be cheerful is, you and I have talked about this, um, and we may go into it in one of the episodes, but... Uh, towards the end of last year, I, I really started to realise uh, and recognise the impact of my childhood on on my adult self and how I show up and both the good and the bad sides of me. And um, I, I just had some crystallising moments towards the end of last year around things that I'd convinced myself of uh, or, or, or forgotten about actually started to really um, inform me. So the reason to be cheerful is just really... I'm I'm excited about the journey I'm I'm going on and continue to go on in terms of discovering self and I'm happy to talk about it you know through this through this podcast. Brilliant man and listen, one of your best friends is the man when it comes to that kind of stuff. So I'll help you with for it, mate. <laughs> that uh, wasn't Maui at all. It's a fucking good one, man. All right, well, Probably better than mine, mate. This has been brilliant. Uh, look forward to the next episode and we'll see you all very soon. Thanks again for listening to 115 Miles with Josh Connolly and Hassan Khan.